Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Um, and Eric, uh, your birthday is coming up soonish, um, sometime uh, in the next 12 months or so, I believe. And uh, I think I found the perfect present for you. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it, actually. Um, it's a t-shirt. Uh, and it's emblazoned with the image that Terence Crawford posted all over his social media this week. You, you may have even seen it. It's this yeah. picture of him rising out of the water in front of the Bellagio Fountains in Las Vegas, looking like a sort of bizarro universe evil Aquaman or something. And he's <laughs> he's got a great white shark on the end of a trident. It, it's pretty badass. I mean, if you like kitschy superhero images and, and hate sharks. So, so I immediately thought of you. Um, okay. uh, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I actually know when your birthday is. It is July 30th, mm-hmm. uh, when we will be heading home from Las Vegas. So I'm going to give it to you early during Vegas Fight Week if you promise to wear it on Radio Row and specifically when we're interviewing Errol Spence. <laughs> uh, hmm. Um... Whatever, whatever you're spending on that shirt, Kieran, uh, you're going to have to spend 10 times as much to get me to wear it. Uh, and that's just in my house where no one else can see me. If, if you want me to wear it in public, I think we're talking uh, about 20 times as much. And uh, well, let's go 50 times as much to get me to wear it while interviewing Errol Spence. Uh, I, I saw the shirt on Bud's website and... Uh, I don't know the merman thing, the uh, the poor shark getting stabbed in the yeah. I'm I'm not very pro that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I fig I, I figured you might not be in favor of that, and it was uh, it was the most violent use of a trident since Brick killed a guy in Anchorman. And uh, I I do assume you've seen Anchorman. Or oh, you... I've, I've seen okay. that. I've yes, seen okay, good. Uh, and and worst of all about the whole image, the worst part. Bud has an alphabet belt slung over his shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. The single most offensive aspect of the whole thing. It really is. It's. I find it just a really ugly t-shirt. Uh, so I, I reject this birthday present idea. Keep trying. Um, wow. You know, assuming we are indeed sent to Vegas for this fight, perhaps you can just buy me a drink. That'll only set you back about 30 bucks in Vegas. <laughs> right. Buying you anything now. So it's you basically the, it's the t-shirt or nothing for my birthday. Yeah, I mean, if you're just going to start rejecting my birthday present ideas, then, you know, there you go. Well, Buy your own drink. (laughs) Fine, I will buy my own drink and not get a t-shirt from you, and I'll consider that a win. (laughs) Yeah, I would, actually. You'll be perfectly happy, exactly. Um, We have plenty for you on this episode of the podcast. Uh, We will, of course, be looking at uh, the week's news. We'll be looking ahead to the ring return of Clarissa Shields and back at... Pretty busy weekend of fights, primarily in the United Kingdom. Um, We'll also be previewing the upcoming Showtime documentary, SOG, The Book of Ward. And we'll be playing an edit of a discussion that we had with Andre Ward in Las Vegas recently. But first, the big news of the week, of the month, of the year, frankly, Mm. it is official. Errol Spence and Terence Crawford will meet for all the welterweight marbles on Showtime pay-per-view from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on Saturday, July 29th. Uh, If you're going to buy the PPV uh, and watch it, you'll be able to see where Eric and I are sitting because you'll be able to recognize his T-shirt very brightly (laughs) from ringside. It is finally going to happen. Showtime has yet to issue a press release, but it is official. Both Spence and Crawford making the announcement via their social media. Um, Eric... On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for this? And with Naoya Inoue meeting Stephen Fulton earlier that same week, how likely is it that we're going to end July with a clear number one pound-for-pound star in men's boxing? 
the scale of one to ten, um, you know, I, I hate to hand out tens because if it's a ten, that suggests nothing in the world can top it. So I will play it cool and merely give this one a 9.99. Now, maybe if this fight had all the elements it has, plus both guys had a history of being in fight of the year type fights, Mm. then I'd have to give it the full 10. But uh, they're going to have to be content with a 9.99 on this one. I mean, how can you not be psyched as all hell for this fight? Mm. If you're a boxing fan you are already giddy and counting down the days. And if you're not a boxing fan, you at least can't really be critical of the sport right now. (laughs) Boxing is really on a roll in 2023, and this is the latest triumph. And I have to say, the one knock on Spence Crawford, I I have heard the occasional Maypack comparisons, people worrying Mm. that they waited too long. I reject that. Um, they, They needed to build it up a little bit. They needed to get a couple of meaningful welterweight wins apiece under their belts. Sure, we were interested in the fight and talking about it in 2018, 2019, but it wasn't really a case of these two have separated themselves. This fight must happen until Crawford KO'd Sean Porter in November 2021. It didn't really make total business sense before then either. So ideally, yeah, it should have happened in spring or summer 2022. We ended up waiting one extra year. That's nothing. Yeah. Certainly not worthy of the Maypack comparison. While the ages are fairly similar to Mayweather and Pacquiao, Benson Crawford are like two years younger apiece, the key difference is we haven't seen any hint of slippage in either of these yeah. fighters. As far as we know, they're both in their primes, whereas we knew neither Mayweather nor Pacquiao were quite in their primes when that fight happened. To answer the pound-for-pound question, If someone wins this fight without significant controversy, he is pound for pound number one. Has to be. I I think that's the case, even if in a way destroys Fulton. Uh, Now, if this fight ends in a controversial decision, that's another story. Then it's like Oscar and Trinidad, where you didn't feel comfortable putting either of them at number one afterward when you kind of assumed going in that the winner would be number one. Uh, but, But Spence Crawford, it's for pound for pound supremacy. If we have a clear winner then we also have an undisputed pound-for-pound king. Um, so let me let me ask the same first question to you. What is your excitement level uh, like for this? Are you running above 9.99? And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I have a different second question for you, though. You've stated in the past your objection to rematch clauses. There is one here. The loser has 30 days to decide whether to enforce it, and then it's an immediate rematch, meaning there's a real chance we get both Spence Crawford and Spence Crawford 2 in 2023. In this instance, are you in favor of the loser being able to force a second fight? Right, as you say, I'm, I'm under normal circumstances very much not a fan of rematch clauses, um, largely because a lot of them are fights that don't merit them. Like, what the hell did George Cambosis do to merit a rematch, right. for example, against Evan Haney? Um, but there are very specific circumstances where I at least understand them and understand they're necessary to make a big fight happen, and 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 this is one of those. Um, one of the other problems I have with rematch clauses is that they force other contenders to kick their heels and wait their turn, but that's just not the case here. There's honestly no more opponents left who are ready for Spence and Crawford right now, except each other. Right. Zenis wants his opportunity. Of course he does, but as good as he's going to be, he's not ready. Same for Virgil Ortiz. Uh, and Mantis Stanionis might be ready in terms of ability, but not drawing power. Um, as you mentioned just now, these guys have been ready for each other for almost a couple of years now. And 
if they choose to end their careers by just facing each other twice or even three times, right. um, so be it, right? If the fights are awful, um, fans will vote with their pocketbooks, um, but it's hard to imagine that they will be. Let them just keep fighting each other. Let them bash each other over the head with their walkers when they're 85 if they want. They've, they've <laughs> built up their careers. They, they've had very successful careers. They've been at the top. They've taken on all comers. Um, this, is, this is their moment to now take the, the big fight that their careers have been building up to. So, um, look, it's taken a lot of effort by a lot of people to make this fight, um, including, to their credit, the boxers themselves, because it sounds like they were actively involved personally in making this happen. And, and if rematch clauses are an essential component of that, then this is one instance where I'm like, so be it. Uh, right. As for my excitement level, it still seems a smidge surreal, to be honest, mm. for me. And, and, and I think that's exacerbated by the fact that, although it is official, it has been made official in that very 2023 way by having the, the boxes posted to their social media accounts. Um, I think for me, it'll, it'll seem real, and I'll start to get really excited with the first pre-fight press conference mm -hmm. media tour when we see them seated next to each other the day so or facing off for the cameras um i am excited by it for for all the obvious reasons not least that we have two men who are clearly one and two in their division which is one of the sports glamour divisions mm -hmm. who are both in the pound for pound top five at worst mm -hmm. at the moment and and that doesn't happen too often and we're gonna go experience it this year roll on july 29th Roll on Las Vegas, and also here's hoping both men are wrapped in bubble wrap and cotton between now and then, because <laughs> I'm not sure that any of us can handle the postponement right now. Right. Yes. Uh, boy, I'm I almost want to curse you for even putting that I know, thought out I know. there. <laughs> um, it is my nature. <laughs> it's interesting though, you you bringing up sort of the boots Ennis, Virgil Ortiz of it all. That that's kind of that's all that's left out there in the division beyond these guys is that sort of next generation. And so yeah. in a perfect world, what we get here is one or two or three excellent fights between these top two guys during which either boots or Ortiz or both of them yeah. can kind of separate themselves. Maybe, you know, in theory, a boots beats a Keith Thurman or something to prove right. to sort of get that experience and prove he's in line. And then whoever emerges from this between Spence and Crawford, while, as you said, I support their right to uh, maybe finish their career with two or three fights like this and be done. In a perfect world, we get whoever yep. wins uh, this uh, this rivalry then taking on a Boots Ennis type and possibly passing the torch or proving uh, even greater than the next generation as well. That's that's the perfect scenario. But, but for now, we have to uh, just be satisfied with getting the perfect fight at pretty much <laughs> the perfect time. And I am I am fired up for July 29th. Yep. Indeed. Uh, we will obviously have an enormous amount of Crawford Spence coverage between now and then, and it is the news of the week. But there are a few uh, other interesting, noteworthy news items that we're going to touch on now as well. Um, Arthur Bedebiev versus Callum Smith for Bedebiev's light heavyweight titles has a confirmed date and location, August 19th in Quebec City. Uh, a fight that I know you are especially excited about, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Oscar Valdez, uh, has Valdez, I should say, has a tentative date and location, August 12th in Glendale, Arizona. 
Uh, one fight that has no date or location and maybe off completely is the rematch between Liam Smith and Chris Eubank Jr., which is another rematch that didn't need to happen. Um, that was postponed two weeks to allow Smith to heal from a back injury, but that back injury now appears to be more serious than previously realized. Alicia Baumgartner will defend her undisputed 130-pound championship against Christina Linard Datu, who is the only woman to defeat her in her hometown of Detroit on a date to be determined. Alexander Uzik's promotional team won the purse bid for his mandatory defense against Daniel Dubois, which means that that bout is heading to Poland. And Devin Haney revealed he was fined $400,000, or so he says, for shoving Vasily Lomachenko during the weigh-in for their fight last week, which Haney won by a controversial decision. Eric, what you got to say about any of that? That seems an awfully steep fine for a shove yeah. at a weigh-in. Uh, now, yeah. if the $400,000 went direct to Lomachenko as sort of a partial make good for him losing a decision that I don't think he deserved to lose. I'd be more down with it, but uh, I'm sure it's just going toward the next right. Nevada commission holiday party. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not true. I have no idea where the money goes, uh, but I know where it doesn't go. And that's directly to Lomachenko. Um, all these fights that you mentioned coming together, they're, they're good fights. Um, Usyk Dubois, it's potentially a mismatch in Usyk's favor. It's also plenty intriguing, uh, especially as mandatories go. And who knows? Dubois is dangerous, even if mm -hmm. he will have trouble matching Usyk's skill and ha has shown defensive holes and fragility. He's a big, strong, talented heavyweight. Usyk's going to have to be careful. Uh, Baumgartner trying to avenge the one loss. That, that matchmaking makes sense. It was an eight-round split decision five years ago that she lost. I can't claim to have seen it and to have an opinion as to who won, but uh, but this should be a good fight. Lenard Datu gave Katie Taylor some headaches. This is a tough homecoming defense for Baumgartner. Uh, get well soon, Liam Smith. That's about all I have to say about that one. Um, Navarrete Valdez. Not uh, not Valdez. He is not a spilled Exxon oil, oil <laughs> exactly. tanker. You could tell what I've been writing about this week. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, August 12th. That is the day my kids come home from summer camp, and my son and I have tentative plans, if he's not too exhausted, to see the band Extreme in Philly that night. I shit you not. Uh, the world's greatest guitarist, Nuno Betancourt, will be in town. We may go. So as much as I love Navarrete Valdez, life is full of tough decisions. I, I, yeah. I may or may not watch that one live. Um, and uh, better be Ev Smith. Uh, well, I don't have a hard time picking a winner, but... Callum figures to give better BF the toughest fight he's ever had yeah. against a guy named Smith. Because Joe Smith was over in yeah, two rounds, as you'll recall. So, yeah. Very good. So, mm. I assume this will go more than two rounds, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> good. Been working on that all week? Uh, yes, that was all I worked on all week. Seven days, day and night, came up with that. Nice one. Uh, one more news item, and this one is also a fight preview. Uh, this coming Saturday, Clarissa Shields was scheduled to face Hannah Gabriels, who knocked her down when they fought in June 2018. But Gabriels tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug, and Shields will instead be facing Maricela Cornejo. Kieran, what can you tell us about Gabriels' positive test and about Shields' new opponent? So we hear plenty of excuses from boxers, and indeed from all athletes, for why they test positive. Um, Hannah Gabriel's maybe the most left field, yeah, yeah. And, and yet believable. Um, she popped for Clostebol, which is a steroid, but her argument is that it, she ingested it through her hands while applying medicine to her dog. Uh, her promoter, Lou DiBella, posted a couple of very Lou DiBella tweets um, in which he wrote, 
quote, uh, Hannah is out because she tested positive for a banned substance. That's how it should work, period. It should always be strict liability. In parentheses and capitals, it is not. Um, below pictured is her dog's site of incision and the veterinary med she was given to apply to the area. One is a roid, hence the positive tests. B samples would be positive. No need to test them. We get it. No protests. What fucking more do you want? Because it wouldn't be a Debella tweet without at least one <laughs> right, F-bomb. Right. F- F- the girl is out because of an honest mistake, as she should be. Culpability and suspension are a separate issue. Um, and not much to take issue with there, to be honest. He's like, fair enough. She should be out of the fight. But I think there are extenuating circumstances, and I don't think she should be suspended. So all fair enough. Uh, I-, I don't know Hannah Gabriel's at all. But yeah, she should be out of the fight. But she's already provided documentary evidence of the actual substance that she says was responsible, which Connor Ben, to my knowledge, still has not done, lo these many months later. Um, uh, so yeah, I, it's it's fine. Yes, it's fine to say that an athlete should be responsible for everything they ingest. But I hope she, if this is indeed the case, I hope she's cut a little bit of slack for this. And I hope her dog is doing better. Um, as for Maricela Conejo, yeah, I, I've watched some footage of her. Um, she lost to Franch and Cruz de Zern on ESPN. She lost to Alma Ibarra on Ring City. Um, she lost to Kaylee Reese as well. So that's sort of her level. Um, she looks like she has a decent jab, pretty good defense, not a great deal more. She's a credible opponent and actually a very good opponent for a late replacement. But I just cannot see her troubling Clarissa. I, I want to uh, lodge a few uh, excuses in advance. Should I ever pop positive for anything? I want you to know, <laughs> okay. Kieran, that I, on the regular, uh, rub tainted meat on my dog. So if I pop for anything, it's because of that. Well, I do not want to go around your house anytime. <laughs> <laughs> the, if the that's tricky the stuff you admit to on a podcast i just <laughs> right. don't the tricky thing is is rubbing meat on otis without him trying to eat it that, that's it's right. a challenge it's not easy to rub meat on dog and uh right. not have it's a wonder you get that anything that else done really to be honest <laughs> between the between that and coming up <laughs> with my smith jokes. my smith jokes that's pretty much all of my time spoken <laughs> for wow Lordy, amazing. <laughs> we have a few fights to recap from around the world. In Melbourne, Australia, our buddy Joseph Parker scored a first round knockout, and I'm going to get this wrong, over Baiga Opelu, I yeah, think. Reasonable enough, yeah, yes. Good enough. Yeah. All right. In Bournemouth, England, Chris Bellam Smith scored a majority decision win over Lawrence O'Coley to hand O'Coley his first defeat and take his cruiserweight belt. In Manchester, England, Lee Wood gained revenge over Mauricio Lara. Dropping him and outboxing him comfortably to win a unanimous decision and regain the featherweight belt that Lara took from him by a knockout earlier this year. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, Luis Alberto Lopez retained a different featherweight belt with a thumping fifth round stoppage of Michael Conlon. And in Indio, California, Alexis Roca stopped Anthony Young in five. Eric, anything leap out at you from that batch of results? Yeah, I want to talk about the two featherweight fights, um, although I'll just quickly say first that uh, Okoli joins the Joe Joyce All-Stars, fighters that I was lower on than a lot of people, and the second that I decide, okay, you know what, this guy's <laughs> actually pretty good, that's when he loses. Um, I didn't actually get to see this fight against Billum Smith, so I have no firm opinion on the scoring, but Okoli was down in the 4th, 10th, and 11th, and lost two points for holding. One judge had it 115-108, another 116-107. The third judge, Benjamin Rodriguez, 112-112 in a fight in which there were three 10-8 yeah. rounds and two point deductions. 
I almost feel entitled to criticize that without having seen the fight. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, moving on, the featherweights, uh, the winners were both tremendously impressive in their own ways. Uh, Luis Alberto Lopez, first of all, thank you for winning me a pizza. Um, the, the fight ah. was a, was a right around even money, and the more I looked at it, the more I felt he should have been favored. But I certainly didn't see this dominance coming. He's really awkward. He throws these... Mm-hmm really quick shots that are sometimes super short and sometimes really long and wide. And you never know quite which is coming at you. Um, But I jotted down in round one, Lopez is looking for the uppercut. It was clear that was a punch he was keying in on. And he hurt Conlon a bit with an uppercut in the third. Uh, We all missed half of round four because ESPN plus is not the smoothest of streaming operations. And then in the fifth, boom, Conlon leaned directly into a right uppercut. And that was that. Mick Conlon's big weakness is that he has absolutely no defensive reflexes. You know, Lopez could like start loading up on a shot and Conlon doesn't flinch or roll until it's too late. Um, I think we all agree. Conlon never had the tools to be a great professional fighter, just a good one. And he is slash was a good one. But uh, in retrospect, the war with Lee Wood that was his one and only chance really to win a title. Yeah. Uh, it didn't quite happen. I'm pretty sure it's not going to now. Uh, but I was so impressed with Lopez and you had to be impressed with Lee Wood, uh, but in a totally different way as he boxed and stayed disciplined and really dominated a uh, Mauricio Lara who just didn't have it at all on this night Wood dropped Lara in the second round with an uppercut and never looked back. Um, and the live betting odds were fascinating. They kept flashing them on the screen even though Wood was clearly way ahead on points, the odds didn't trust him. Uh, Lara was a minus 200 favorite at DraftKings through four, which made no sense to me. And after eight, he was still minus 170, even though he couldn't possibly win on points by that stage of the fight. So the odds makers were saying he was more likely to knock Wood out in the final four rounds than not, even though Lara had gotten almost nothing done all fight. Just an unbelievably flat performance from Lara, truly inspired and sharp performance from Wood. And, um, you know, maybe we should uh, have a little debate between Wood and Lopez, who is the featherweight MVP of the weekend. Uh, but but I've been talking a while already. So you, you let me know what's on your mind with these fights, and then maybe we can compare the two winners or, or say who we'd favor if they fought. Well, I did have a bunch of notes about the Billum Smith O'Coley scoring, but I'll throw them out now, seeing <laughs> okay. as you've covered that. Right. Um, <clears throat> I didn't expect would lara to be an almost pedestrian affair but yeah look would box a very good disciplined bout um really impressed with the way he handled it and you know i think we said last week that he had to keep his concentration and fight the perfect fight from the beginning of round one to the end of round 12 and i think he did that uh he was very very good indeed and lara honestly let's be honest he was poor he weighed in four pounds over four pounds yeah and uh that seemed to affect him uh, either that or He'd fallen so in love with his own power, understandably, that he figured he could be down 11 and a half rounds and still produce a winner. Um, last week, I was excited by the idea of them having a third fight if Wood even the score on Saturday. But after what we saw, I, I don't need to see that right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as for Conan, I agree with you 100%. He's, look, he, he, he's good. And there are times where he's looked a lot better than I thought he was going to be when I was ringside for his pro debut when he looked technically terrible. 
But I think, let's be honest, a lot of the hype for, for Michael Conlon was his F-bombs after losing that Olympic decision. And without them, perhaps he might not have come in with so much hype. Perhaps he would have had a little bit more of an opportunity to come in under the radar and develop himself a wee bit. Mm. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point that you, you spoke about there about what his weaknesses are because he's not too bad offensively at times. Right. He's got some nice movement, doesn't he? Um, he throws his punches quite well, but... It's like once he starts to get tagged a little bit, his, even the footwork starts to go too. Like you could see it from about the beginning of round three, I think, particularly that that he was just getting tagged. I think that's when you DM'd me that it was starting to not look good for Conlon. Right. Either round, during round three or when we had to find stuff to entertain ourselves because we couldn't watch <laughs> the fight in, in the back half of round four. And yeah, I just don't know that he has quite the resilience at that highest level. When he does get cracked, he gets done, but you know, obviously that punch was all the more powerful because he leaned right into the uppercut. Um, I, as I mentioned to you over DM, I, I thought that Lopez reminded me a wee bit of Yuriokis Gamboa in there, just yeah. the, partly the build, um, but also just the nature of the way he throws his punches and where he throws them from, and with the hands down a little bit. He's he's wilder than Gamboa, mm -hmm. but uh, but he's an interesting guy to watch, and that was a good strong win for him. Yeah, I. I th I, th I like the Gamboa comparison. I'd say he's like a less athletically gifted sort of uh, Gamboa, similar low similar rent Gamboa. I think. I think. Right. I yes, that's what you said, and that that yeah. sounds that sounds uh, about right. So so do you have a uh, a a leaning on which of the two winners you'd call the MVP of the weekend, or or just who you would favor if they fought each other, Lopez and Wood? I haven't seen enough of Lopez. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so to, to be able to, based on that, I think that based on what we saw, I think that Wood probably has the technical ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's not going to make the kind of mistakes that Conlon did. So I think I might, I think from what I've seen, I think Wood probably has the all round better game, but just the nature of the performance and just the way he ended it and silenced that Belfast crowd. I think you got to give MP, MVP honors to, to Lopez. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, Wood uh, beat the better opponent of the two this weekend, I think, and, and got his revenge. So there's a lot to be said for that. But yeah, I, I too would still have to call Lopez the MVP of the weekend. He was something of a revelation. And uh, certainly he beat Conlon more easily than Wood did, although maybe Wood softened him up. Uh, right. Maybe Wood kind of uh, loosened that jar, uh, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, I I think I'd probably pick Lopez over Wood if they fought right now. But you know, that's it's hard to say. It's getting real interesting at the top of that division with those two, plus Brandon Figueroa, and then Rabisi Ramirez charging up. Mm -hmm. uh, although I remain not as sold on Ramirez as most people seem to be. And uh, I, I just oh, that means that. you will ultimately be sold on him, and then you'll lose. So right, you <laughs> that's what one would think. But no, I'm I'm digging in on this one. I'm riding it out. Uh, I'm not gonna cave and say he's great only for him to get knocked out in his next fight. I am sticking with it. Robici Ramirez, not quite as good as the hype. If he never loses another fight, so be it. I'm going down with the ship on this one. <laughs> okay, Kieran, it is time to play the fight game, and uh, you don't even have Al Bernstein to help you out. You have to do it no. yourself. Not that yeah. Al proved all that helpful, but it was it was good to have someone to bounce ideas off of. I kind of like that. And uh, and Al made a good observation about how once you know what the fight is, the clues all make a lot of sense. Yes. 
So, uh, Kieran, I, I predict that even if you don't get this one quickly, you will at least look back when it's over and say that the clues made a lot of sense. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I do have. I don't have Al, but I do have Alfie. He is oh. curled up next to me. Okay. Um, ready to spring to action. I'm sure. <laughs> and All help right. Me let's out. see. Let's see how much uh, help Alfie can provide. How well he knows his boxing history. Uh, here we go. Kieran and Alfie, are you ready? <laughs> and Alfie says he's ready as well. <laughs> Nicely done. All right, clue one. In this fight, two future Hall of Famers met in a rematch one year after their first bout, and a 31-year-old fighter avenged his loss to his 26-year-old opponent. That's that's actually a perfect clue one. Gives All right. us Gives you a little bit, but not enough. And and once you do know the answer, you will look back and say, yes, that one fighter was 31, and that other fighter was 26, and they were future Hall of Famers. It made sense. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, I don't even want to take a guess. Okay, but, nothing uh, coming to mind. No. Okay, here comes clue two. This is going to give you, this is one of my uh, classic clues that has some information and possibly has some clues buried within the clue. Here goes. <laughs> Very well. It was a majority decision. Chuck Jampa had it even, 114-114, overruled by Patricia Jarman's 115-114 and Jerry Roth's 115-113. So do you sense what I'm getting at in sort of clues within the clue? Well, it was in Vegas. Right. That was That's one of them. That, uh, that it tells you it was probably in Vegas. and It, it was when Chuck Jampa was still judging. Right. That's the other thing, is it gives you a sense of the time frame. For some reason, I feel like it's at a lighter weight. I am not responding to that comment. Which either means it was very accurate or very inaccurate. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh. So the two. No, I, I just suddenly had a thought about something. It might be, but that wasn't in. Um, it wasn't in Vegas. So. No, I'm still on? not getting it. Okay. All right. Uh, and. As you haven't lodged any guesses so far, I'm not sure that Clue 3 is going to give it to you, but uh, here goes anyway. This was the only official defeat of the 26-year-old loser's career. Ah, interesting. The only official defeat. Why? So, okay, there's a reason why you felt important to say official defeat. Mm -hmm. I, could so have you... I could have said only defeat. Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, should I infer from that that he won a decision that perhaps most folks didn't think he should I'll, have won? I'll, I'll, I'll clarify a bit that, uh, no, that is not the case, but I think when people look back at this fighter's career, they're always a little surprised to note that he only lost once. Feels like he lost more than that. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. And I'm gonna think... And, you know, I... I Clue four is almost certainly going to give it to you. So in between then, let me give you a three and a half clue and just say you are thinking if you're thinking small guys, you're on the wrong end of the scale. Oh, OK. 
now I'm giving you nothing more until Kaimor. Oh. oh, is it Amanda Holyfield and Riddick Bow? It is. And so so is, this, is, is it the Fan Man fight? Yes, it is. Yep. Ah, it. Ah. <laughs> it all makes sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> Avanda was only 31. You know what threw me off? Avanda's always seemed old. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could see thinking he was older than 31 when their second fight happened. Um, here, here, here was going to be Clue 4, which, which would have given you everything you need, I think, to have gotten it, even if I hadn't sort of pointed you toward heavyweights. Uh, clue four, I mentioned the two fighters were Hall of Famers. Additional Hall of Famers in the ring that night at Caesar's Palace included Emmanuel Stewart and Mills Lane. I, oh, feel, like, I feel like you would have guys. probably gotten it from that, right? If I, yeah. um, And then uh, clue five. <laughs> If you were a fan, man, that 21-minute delay in the seventh <laughs> round must have fantastic. felt interminable. Thank God for clue five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yes, for those uh, keeping score at home, officially the answer, uh, Holyfield Bow 2, November 6th, 1993. And, yeah, Riddick Bow. it's always surprising when you look back and see he didn't yeah. have any other losses because you think of one or both of the Galata fights as losses, yeah. but they were not. Yeah, so. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that was good. That was that was that was well done. And I'm glad actually that you steered me right with clue three there because as we've discussed before, sometimes in your when you go in a place uh -huh. with your first first clue, and I was definitely thinking about one twenty six, one thirty, one thirty five, something like that. Then right. and I was thinking indoors. I wasn't thinking outdoors at all. So ah, okay. But as soon as he said there was, uh, it was at the wrong end of the weight scale, then it just kind of popped into place. Right. All right. Uh, let's move along. Uh, this Friday, June 2nd at 8 p.m., Showtime will premiere SOG, The Book of Ward, a new documentary about the life and career of former Olympic gold medalist, super middleweight and light heavyweight champ, and now Hall of Famer Andre Ward. Kieran and I had the chance to watch an advanced screener, and uh, we'll give our thoughts in a bit. But first, let's hear from the man himself. Listeners may remember that we talked with Ward in Las Vegas during fight week for Javante Davis, Ryan Garcia. It was such a good interview that we posted it as its own pod, and we're going to repurpose it here because Andre had so many insightful things to say, and it's a perfect primer for watching the doc this Friday. So with the Davis-Garcia preview elements edited out, here again is our recent interview with Andre Ward. Our next guest is a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. He is a former super middleweight and light heavyweight champion. He is the subject of a new documentary that will be coming out on Showtime, premiering on June 2nd, SOG, The Book of Ward. If you haven't guessed it by now, surely you have. <laughs> surely you can figure it out from that. It is Andre, SOG yeah. Ward. Andre, thanks so much for joining us, man. Man, I'm happy to be here with you guys again. So when we chatted with you at the Hall of Fame, I remember you saying... You were excited for the documentary to come out. You were excited for everyone to see it. People aren't going to believe some of the, the twists in your story and some of the things this documentary reveals. Now it's close. Now it's about six yeah. weeks away. There's no turning back. <laughs> <laughs> What's the excitement level for people to finally see this thing? I mean, I'm just happy that uh, first and foremost, I kept my, my word to my wife because this, this like started off like just being a vision, right? And I like dumped like six figures into the production getting interviews and travel and a production team before we even sold it so we're like you know three four years into the problem like trust me we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna get that back like right. just just stick with me <laughs> we did we got it back and some so i'm happy about that first and foremost but man it, this 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 whole process with the doc was therapeutic for me um 
I think that, uh, you know, when the, when the world first saw me in 2004, you know, I was fresh off the streets, man, had just given my life to God. I was trying to clean my life up, trying to figure things out. And I had studied the sport as a young fighter, and I didn't want to come in with the normal story. My parents were on drugs. I was struggling. I, I just kind of felt like, and, and I didn't even have the green light to share their story yet. Mm. And I wasn't ready. I wanted just the media and the fans to embrace me for who I was. And, but I knew in the back of my mind that I'm going to probably tell this story one day, and I want it to be in my words. That day is here. Uh, it is a little scary, you know, to, to pull back the cover mm-hmm. uh, in depth the way that we have. But it was necessary, man, because it gets to a certain point where now you're not sharing your struggles and the things you had to overcome in your family and in your personal life. It could, it could start to become selfish mm-hmm. if you don't want to share it. And that's, that's what pushed me to that point. I, I feel like during your career, like the broad strokes were out there. I remember there being some talk about your father's drug problems and stuff. But so was, it, was it kind of frustrating to you that people didn't know the whole story? It got to that point at a certain certain point and, and this i mean for most of my career i was content just like I, you know it's not for public consumption you know mm-hmm. or at least not right now it, it started to feel i started to get discontent when you know i mentor a lot of young guys and it would get frustrating because they would be going through things and i would give them the old man i, I know what you're going through and they didn't really believe me mm-hmm. and i went to my pastor and i was like man i'm like man i'm trying to talk to these guys and man, they, they don't get the fact that i didn't probably done more than them mm-hmm. He's like, Dre, you got to kill the image. And I didn't get it at first. He said, no, 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 who you are is real. But it's not who you've always been. It's okay to tell that story. You got to kill that image that they have of you that you've never been through anything. So that was the catalyst in me feeling like it's time. You mentioned that it's therapeutic, but doing an autobiographical thing can be very, very hard work. Oh, my goodness. Did you find yourself, like, at any times like okay i've peeled back this layer that's enough and then maybe you realize no that's not enough i got to pull back this layer and this layer and this layer often and, yeah. yeah often i i felt like i was uh, i was willing to be open initially or i wouldn't have done this you know you you can't you know the the, the verbiage in in the doc space is puff piece you know you don't want to create a puff piece oh he was great a champion you got to talk about it so i knew that going in but it's amazing how naturally just in the interview process or when other people in my family were getting interviewed like it just starts to go there right so it's like all right we got that on that interview or i've said that thing now the question is do we cut that in the doc so it's like first it's do we speak about it then do we cut it in and there was some there were some challenges where there were things that i'm like i don't know and the team's like i think we need to have this and i would give in and say let's do it let's do it um but, it, it, man, it's, it's, uh, I'm excited, man, because when I first started off with this process, I told Spring Hill and uh, Uninterrupted, LeBron's company, and Maverick Carter and all those guys, and Showtime, like, I want this to be a human interest piece. This is not just – it's not a 30 for 30 or a sports doc. Like, I want this to be something that a grandmother can pull something from a mother, mm-hmm. an athlete, and I think, I think we nailed it. Okay. I think we nailed it. And right before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, Kieran and I uh, appear in the yeah, documentary y'all, interviewing you at the Hall of yes. Fame. It makes me a little nervous that you really didn't have that much material that, you, that, that we made the cut. <laughs> or the interview was that good. You guys asked some okay, really we'll important go, questions. We'll go with that one. Yeah, Let's we'll go, go with the latter, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the, this tattoo on your arm, Andre Ward Jr., this yeah. uh, when he was born, a.k.a. Boss Man. Yeah, my what? dad used to call him the boss because he was so big, man. He was, like a, he was huge. And my dad used to pick him up and call him the boss. And 
Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Okay, from, I wasn't sure if it was like the, sometimes you have sort of that that real strong-willed kid who runs the yeah, house. Was yeah, it, Was that some part of a little bit? That too. Okay. That too. A little bit. <laughs> All right, but uh, so I assume uh, you know your your family is a big part of this documentary too. How, did, how so. did they feel about being uh, involved? They were pretty open. You know, you got to realize like my you know my kids and my wife they've been around you know the limelight and stuff for my kids all their life. So, and I've been around, you know, in the limelight since I've been 12, 13 years old um, as a top amateur. And so everybody was fine with it. It wasn't like a big deal to them. If anybody was, you know, mm. going through a process, it was me. Okay. And my wife's tough, man. She's not like, even at the fights, I mean, she, she's not like one of those wives that are covering her eyes. Like, she's looking up saying, hey, get up. You need to hit them back. Right. That's my wife. So when I would bring stuff to her about, man, I don't know. She said, babe, it's, it's, you can talk about it. She's not. She's just that type of person. So they're good. Okay. They're good. My family's good. They're excited. And um, the feedback is going. Is interesting, man. Like I know we put out the two minute trailer today, but when people dig into it and watch the whole thing, it's going to be interesting to see the feedback. Okay. I mean, to be fair, during your career, there were far fewer moments where a relative or a wife might want to cover their eyes than yeah. there were for a lot of other <laughs> fighters. So. Yeah. Um, but one thing that you have always been open about, obviously it was there in your nickname and, it, and it's featured in the trailer, was your faith and how yeah. important that has been. I, I, from one of the answers you just gave, I get the impression that that wasn't necessarily always there, but that where there was a point at which you sort of reconnected with that faith. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? I like the word reconnected because that's what it was. You know, I, I had a foundation uh, in the faith. You know, my dad introduced me to my faith very early on. But, but it's, it's strange because we didn't, I didn't like grow up in church. I didn't like go to church every Sunday or anything like that. But we went from time to time. But my dad opened up the Bible. He would read it. And, you know, when local newspapers and, and news cameras started coming around my middle school and my high school, he said, hey, man, you make sure you give God the glory. And I would be like nervous and scared. Like, man, I don't know how and I'm afraid. So that foundation was there. But that was more my dad's faith. So when I went through real life, when I lost him um, in 2002 and I started dabbling in drugs and alcohol and getting in the streets, the street life, now it's real. And in that place, in that despair, I found my personal faith. And that's what this whole career has, had, that's the foundation that has been built on. Um, the guy that I was before I gave my life to God been a far different story if I'd have made it to be a professional. Right. I wouldn't have been as successful in the ring and I certainly would have been on the bottom of the ticker a few times mm. outside the ring. Um, and I'm just grateful that wasn't the case. So there was always throughout your professional career a, a single-mindedness about you, I think, that came across. That you knew what you wanted and you knew who you were yeah. and what you wanted to achieve yeah. that I thought came across yeah. always very strongly being around yeah. you and talking to you. And, and was that a part of it? I've always kind of been that, that type of person, though, you know, since a kid. Like, you see it in the dock where Nazim's like, man, he was, just, he was different. Mm. Like, I would go up to the coaches at 10, 11, 12 years old in the Nationals, and I would be talking about, man, I saw Bernard Hopkins, and he had on these kind of trunks and these kind of shoes. He's like, man, was this kid? Mm. I've just always kind of been that kind of, like, focused kid. I just got off track and I was focused on other things. And then when I got back on track, it, well, it's not hard for me to, to stay focused. I, like with boxing, it's easy math for me. So I know there's guys out there that may put things in their bodies and live a certain lifestyle. I'm not judging them. They got to work that out. But from an athletic and boxing standpoint, if I don't do that, I got the advantage. Simple math. 
if I win my next fight, my money goes up. If I lose my next fight, my money goes down. That's simple math. Man, I got a window. I don't know how long that window is. If I give it everything I got, man, who knows as far how far I can go. But if I don't, it's going to be regret. That's simple math to me. So I just, like, did the mathematics and just chose to suffer and sacrifice so, you know, I could be having a Hall of Fame conversation when all was said and done. And, and you were the one who choose, chose to close that window. Um, that I think perhaps took a lot of us by surprise. <laughs> of but course, I'm of course. Not sure how long you had been thinking about that being the time that you would close the window, or did it just come to you? I really wanted to be done two, two, three years before. Okay. Um, and, and it doesn't make sense to people when I say that because I've been I've been doing it since I was nine years old, and I gave up a childhood. I had moments when I was a kid, but really I was regimented lifestyle. And you give up a lot. You know, I was uh, like this phenom early. So my, my classmates are going to school and doing normal stuff. And I'm, where you been? Mm. I was at the Nationals. I was at the Nationals in Lenexa, Kansas, fighting for a whole week. And then I came back with this belt. You do that long enough, it starts to wear on you a little bit. Um, then you go through some battles in the sport of boxing. Outside the ring, inside the ring. The time away from your family starts to add up. You know, the wear and tear on the body starts to add up. And you just, again, start to do the math. And it's like, man, I, I don't really know. I'm looking at my account. I'm like, man, I'm good. Like, we're, we're fine. I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And I would do that periodically within that two or three year span before I retired. And my wife was like, man, babe, I don't think it's time. And I would kind of be a little frustrated. Like, man, I just, I want my freedom back. Right. And um, I knew before Cove won that that was it. Excuse me. Oh, okay. I knew before Cove 2 that that was it. Okay. And um, No matter what would have happened in that fight, win or lose, that was going to be well, it? Well, no. I, I mean, I had to win okay. in order to follow through with the plan. Okay. Because it was going to be a third fight. Okay. I didn't want to fight that dude three times and go through <laughs> right, all this seriously. three times. and, yeah. and have, I didn't want to do it. Like, right. And if he won the second fight, it was going to justify all the stuff that was said in the first fight. And I had to, again, I, I, do, I do a lot of math. So I did the math, and I was like, man, if I lose this fight, I got to do another training camp, another fight. It's going to justify the first fight. But I knew the first training camp was a lot, man. It's a lot. Like, the fight almost got canceled two or three times. My knee kept swelling up. I had to modify my training. Like, it was, it was terrible. Like, I, I can't believe we made it to the fight and then made it through the fight. The second fight, because I think I had made, this, made the decision to walk away, man, it was the best camp that I had in my whole career. Right. Man, I felt light. I, I had fun. It's the most fun I've had in a training camp. I didn't really feel a lot of pressure. I was sharp the whole camp. No knee issues. Like, it, it, just, it was just perfect. We fought the fight. And then I was like, well, man, maybe I won't. Like, maybe. And if I stayed around, the plan was for Tony Bell, you at cruiserweight, and then Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. I wasn't going to play around at like heavyweight and try. I beat the guy already. Um, so I started moving in that direction, and then my heart shifted again, and I was like, I don't want to do it. And then I began to pull the plug and, and undo what was in motion to start taking place. I had a, a I think it was like a two or three fight deal on the table to sign with HBO mm -hmm. days away, and we had to undo that and pull the plug. So. Yeah, man, it's a, it's an interesting process that I went through, man, and, and, and some days I'm shocked that I stayed away and I still haven't come back. Is there any little part of you that still wonders what would have happened if you'd fought Anthony Joshua? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Not only is it a, a boatload of money, but the challenge. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's a challenge. And it's like I went out on a high note, but can you imagine cruiserweight and heavyweight? Mm -hmm. It's a different conversation. So I think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I have a random side topic. We're in Vegas. What is the deal with Las Vegas stealing all of your sports teams from Oakland? Oh, my gosh. Man, I'm not happy about it. I'd imagine uh, that. You, are you a big A's fan? I retired. The Raiders left. <laughs> the Warriors, they're in San Francisco. Right. But for people who aren't in the Bay Area, people, they're, oh, they're just a, no. That's a big, that's big to us. Like, right. Oakland and San Francisco is a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and now this, the A's, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. Right. I'm not happy. <laughs> and I don't know what the whole Vegas deal is. I don't know. I don't know if the land is cheap here or what. I don't the know. The A's and the Raiders did not run this by you yeah. first. At all. <laughs> like, I was in disbelief when the Raiders left and in disbelief again when I'm reading the reports about the A's. I'm like, this can't. Like, they're going to figure this out. They're going to work it out. I don't think they're going to work it out. No, sounds, I think sounds the, like the agreement is binding. Yeah. We have no sports team, or we will not have a sports team Yeah. in Oakland. Yeah, that's crazy. So bringing it back to your career, as, as we're talking about the sort of mental exhaustion and physical exhaustion paired together. I'm thinking of your fights with Kovalev. Both of those fights, you came on stronger. Do you think he was like actually becoming exhausted mentally? And yes, by the, the for challenge sure. Of dealing with you. Yes, no doubt about it. But you know, I was I was way ahead on the scorecards before the fight started because I knew a lot about him, but he didn't know a lot about me. Hmm. I respected him. He, he he had a general respect for me. I, I felt that, but. He didn't respect me enough to believe that I could beat him. I knew that if I wasn't on point, he could beat me. Um, so I was up from that regard. And then I had done a lot of research about him. I knew how he lived. I knew the mistakes he made. I knew his lifestyle. And I'll just put it this way. It wasn't conducive to an athlete's lifestyle. And I knew that I'm going to squeeze you, meaning I'm going to set a pace and I'm not going to fall as soon as you hit me. And I'm going to take you to deep water. And for him, deep water was right around the fifth or sixth round. Mm -hmm. And if he could get past that, then we're going to go into deeper water. And I just knew he couldn't mentally and physically withstand that. And that's why you see, you see him, you've seen him kind of fall apart from the second round on. He had some good moments. You know, I'm not saying I just blew him out from the second round on, but he, he couldn't keep pace. He just slowly started to fall behind. That's the psychological stuff. That's the mental stuff. Like, you could see Kovalev thinking, like, what, like he's not following the script. You could see that. Right. That's draining, and that and that 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 goes from psychological to physical. The, the script was you were supposed to stay down in round two, I think. <laughs> and you exactly, and you can see when he knocked me down that the skip he had, like ah, yeah. I knew it. <laughs> I got up though. Right. I got up. All right, we'll we'll let you save a few things for the all doc. right, all right, all right, all right. Make you give it all, all away right. here, but I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited to see the documentary June second. Thank you guys, Andre. Thanks for coming. Appreciate on the it, podcast. man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Appreciate brother. it. So that was our chat with Andre that you may have heard before, but was absolutely worth hearing a second time. Um, I'm still finding myself wondering a month later how he would have done against Anthony Joshua. <laughs> that fascinates <laughs> me. Probably a bridge too far size-wise, but uh, we'll never know because Andre Ward retired when he wanted to retire with yep. all the faculties and money required to put together a comprehensive documentary about his life. Um, <laughs> as I said, Kieran and I had a chance to watch it already a few days before the rest of you commoners. Uh, certainly don't <laughs> want to spoil anything for the listeners, although it's a documentary. It's real life. You come in pre-spoiled right. on most of it if you follow boxing. Uh, but anyway, without ruining anything for those who haven't seen it, Kieran, what are your thoughts on SOG, The Book of Ward? 
I enjoyed it. Um, I will say, if you don't know who Andre Ward is, I'm not sure that you'd have a very compelling reason to sit down and watch this, especially since it's quite long. I think it clocks in at like 104 minutes or something. Right. But but if you do, if you have any sense at all about boxing, about Andre Ward, I, I found it quite compelling. Um, you know, Andre's always been a unique presence and personality within the sport. He, he's always been someone who wanted to march to the beat of his own drum uh, through much of his career. He didn't particularly want to do media, didn't particularly want to make himself available. Uh, I, I interviewed him quite a few times with HBO in the latter part of his career, and he could be a bear, mm. uh, especially during fight week. And, you know, and you combine that with the fact his style was could be one that was difficult to fall in love with. Uh, it was a difficult style to fully appreciate unless you knew what you were watching. And so he probably, as a result, didn't quite have that breakout, wasn't quite as beloved as you as perhaps his talent deserved. And, and the documentary talks about that. Um, and it addresses that. And, and it shows also, I think, that there was and is a side to him that a lot of people missed. Uh, you know, when you could get him to talk, he was an extremely self-possessed and self-confident man, but he's an interesting and thoughtful and intelligent one too. And, you know, I started to get to know him a little bit when he began commentating for HBO and I'd sometimes sit in on fighter meetings and he was never exactly Captain Chuckles then too, but he could be, you know, really kind of insightful and friendly. And I think since he's been a full-time broadcaster, he's really mastered the art of interviews. And honestly, I think the two that you and I have done with him, the one we just heard and the one at the Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. I think they're two of the best interviews we've done on this podcast. I mm -hmm. think they're great. And that's because of him. If you're looking for a very critical piece, this documentary isn't. It does address the criticisms of him. But everyone who's interviewed has, has positive things to say. You know, there's there's commentary from Sergei Kovalev and Carl Froch, for example, but that's from existing footage. They don't right. sit Kovalev and Froch down. Um, I did chuckle, mild spoiler alert, I did chuckle when he described Froch as the most annoying opponent he'd ever <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I thought of you, because I'm sure we might say something similar about him as a podcast guest, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, there are, again, a couple of very mild spoilers. There are some definite highlights for me. Marshawn Lynch's interview segments yeah, are so yeah. Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. It's like they found the best Marshawn Lynch impersonator and said, <laughs> go out there and dial your performance up to 11. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, if you like to play Jim Lampley bingo, when you know he's being interviewed for a piece, you will not be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, I was very surprised to see Michael Jordan interviewed because he rarely assents to interviews, especially about people not named Michael Jordan. Um, and of course, we're in it. Uh, right. What important. I liked, which is the most important, um, what I like best about it, I think, is that it does a really good job by delving into his background and childhood of explaining why he is the very particular kind of person that he is. Mm -hmm. I think it would be, I was also struck by, it had some early footage of him as a youngster and, and boy, he's Andre Ward. He comes, he just came out of the mold as Andre, didn't he? <laughs> just the way yeah. he talked, the way he looked as a child. It's like, wow, you almost came out fully formed. I, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I think personally, it would be very hard to come away from this documentary and not like him personally yeah. that, that was also one of my takeaways yeah and that's the way i feel about him irl now as well having sat right, down with him a couple times it's like impossible not to like him even though i too recall a time when he was not so media friendly when you wanted an interview with him and you kind of got the runaround until finally they would say nah not gonna bother um and now he's you know there's nothing not to like about this guy uh, yeah, as far as i agreed. can tell um 
the first half hour or so was the strongest part of the doc for me. All the stuff about Andre's childhood that, as you said, gives you a sense of, of how he became, who he became. Um, and there's just lots of details in there I didn't know. And such amazing footage of young Andre in the gym <laughs> with Virgil uh, to see him boxing at like age 12 or whatever. I really love that. Um, and on a related note, uh, Virgil Hunter is the true hero of this story. Yes. Um, have, have you met Virgil? I don't think I have, actually. All right. I, I worked with him on one CBS card in 2015, and we spent a lot of time together that weekend. Um, just a great guy, and uh, I, I really hope uh, we can have him on the podcast sometime. Kind of surprising that we haven't found a way to do that yet, but uh, but he's a, he's a great guy and I think comes off deservedly very well in this documentary. Um and... By the way, I just lied to you. Of course I've met Virgil. I've interviewed him. Like, oh. not, like we've, we've never gone to the movies or anything. Okay, but, but you I, have interviewed him. Okay. That was just a flat-out lie. I apologize for that. I try not to lie too often in the, do- in the podcast, but that was a lie. All right. All right. Now you know. You can trust nothing Kieran says ever again. <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, my only other note... Um, because I want to stay away from, you know, obviously spoiling it and ruining right. uh, anyone's enjoyment of it. But I do have to note that uh, for the Kovalev rematch, if this had been an unauthorized biography, a, a documentary that Andre wasn't in control of, the story of that fight would have been told differently. Uh, there, yes. there was one element there that uh, to say it was glossed over would be an understatement. But uh, <laughs> the, the perks of creative control, I guess. Yes. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, all right. We close out this week's podcast it is time for this week's top five list um some months ago you tasked me with coming up with a list of the five fights i most wanted to see between the, whom i had dubbed the four princes brian garcia javante davis tfimo lopez and devin haney um my number one choice has happened we've seen javante davis against ryan garcia mm-hmm. um so with tfimo lopez now camped in the 140 pound division Haney threatening to join him, and the likes of Shakur Stevenson are very much in the frame. Uh, you asked me to revive the list to include any or all of the fights I would most like to see in both the 135 and 140 pound divisions. I did decide that I wanted to try and keep the four princes in this. And so each one of them does have one entry, at least in here. But uh, there's one pick that doesn't feature any of them. Okay. Uh, but anyway, here we go. And number five is that one pick, and I put it in there because, oh my lord, once it occurred to me, how could you not want to see it? It is Gary Antoine Russell, 16-0 with 16 KOs, versus Subriel Matias, 19-1 with 19 KOs. I mean, come on! How has this not (laughs) even happened yet? Uh, Let's make this happen. Uh, Matias has an alphabet belt, too, for what it's worth. Both are regulars on Showtime. I honestly hadn't even thought about this matchup as a possibility until you gave me this list and I sat, uh, gave me this task and I sat down and looked at the lists of rankings and it just leapt out at me and I had to double and triple check to figure out why it hadn't been made. An incredibly dangerous fight for both men, uh, an incredibly exciting uh, fight for fans and potential huge upside for both side, for both guys. Let's do it. I mean, good Lord, what's not to love about this fight? Why isn't it happening now? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, it's I, it hadn't even occurred to me uh, while putting my list together. And But now that you mentioned it, it's a great fight. I did, you know, Su- Subriel Matias was very much on my radar as I put my list together. And I thought about some matchups for him. But somehow this one uh, didn't occur to me. Fantastic matchup. Fantastic fun fight. And uh, just gives you a sense of 
A, the depth of these divisions, yeah. uh, how, how many guys there are to consider, and uh, B, that no two lists are going to look exactly the same for this, uh, for this assignment. Because that, yeah, that, I... that one wasn't even on my radar, but it's a great number five. Yeah. All right. Number four is one that, in a sense, doesn't make any sense, at least to one of the people involved. But it would be interesting for, for folks like you and, and me. Um, it's Frank Martin against Ryan Garcia. Hmm. Um, there's no real reason for Garcia to take this fight, at least not right now. Um, and again, he actually also might be on his way up to 140 pounds himself. But this would be a tremendous opportunity for us to see just how good Martin is. Uh, there's risk for both sides. If Martin lost to Garcia, it would suggest that maybe he isn't quite at the level many of us think he is, or at least not yet. If Garcia were to lose to Martin, he'd really have to go to the back of the line and start all over again, which actually, honestly, I don't think would be a bad thing for him to do. Uh, I think it would be a terrific potential crossroads fight. The It's not the biggest appeal fight for Ryan Garcia, and I'll touch on one that obviously is later on but i think it's the kind of fight that you and i would get excited about mm -hmm. like i could just see us getting really dug into a preview of this fight and being pretty excited about what it would tell us about both guys yeah that's a spectacular matchup that again hadn't really crossed my mind i have some garcia fights in the mix here i have some martin fights in the mix here i did not pair the two of them up with each other but it you just can't go wrong mixing and matching a lot of these top guys yeah. 35 and 40 yeah uh Number three, well, it's a good thing I want to see this because it's happening in like two weeks. <laughs> right. uh, it's just Taylor Teofimo Lopez. Uh, and okay, a, the similar kind of uh, uh, things at stake here uh, as in the one I just mentioned, Alas Patio in particular, depending on how it happened, could be shattering. He was on top of the world when he beat Lomachenko, but since then it's been spiraling a little bit and some of that's not his fault it's remarkable he even made it into the ring against george cambosis given the health issues he had going in uh but other elements such as the seeming chaos in his camp um the the sort of quasi-racist rants that he's gone on um those are kind of his fault uh i still think that if he can get his act together outside the ring he can continue to be a real force but uh taylor Notwithstanding the close call against Jack Catterall is, is good, damn good. And he's not the guy to be facing when all is not quite as it should be. I, I really hope that Lopez is going into this with full strength, full focus with everything together, because I'm genuinely excited by this fight. It, it's a bummer that, I, like your uh, potential Navarrete Valdez fight, uh, I'll be on the road when it happens, so I'm not sure I'll get a chance to see it live. Uh, I'm a little surprised it doesn't seem to have quite caught light yeah. the way that it that it should, um, especially with only two weeks out. Maybe because there's so much happening in the sport, uh, it just hasn't had the space to breathe and give it another week and it will. But this is a major, major fight. It's very, very exciting fight. And uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing how it's not going to be a terrific one. I guess I'm guilty of it not catching light with Mia enough either, as I didn't put it in my top uh, five, although I can see the case for putting it in the top five. And so, But I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sure I'll formulate some uh, some things to say about it next week when we preview it. But um, here we are, three, three entries into your top five with zero overlap so far. I don't think that will end up being the case. I'm pretty sure that my number one will be somewhere in your top two, but maybe not. Maybe we can go a full yeah. top five without any overlap. As George Foreman said when Roy Jones dropped Virgil Hill with a body shot, unheard of! <laughs> unheard of! 
<laughs> yeah, our our brain sharing is uh is not uh not quite living up to expectations this week. Although I will I will double back now and note that I had uh Jim Lampley bingo. I had that jotted down in my notes. <laughs> so there's still some brain sharing going I, Andy, on. Andy, you you stole my notes about Bill and Smith or Kobe. True. So true. There's, so, there's that. All right. There's okay. that. How about lying? You've been doing any lying in this podcast? Uh, I don't, think, you know. I don't think don't so. think so. Although right. maybe I'm lying about that right now. And there's still opportunity. We're not done yet. True. All right. So let's see. Uh, my number two is Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney. Uh, on the back of Haney's win over Lomachenko, this might be the hottest of them all right now. Uh, outside perhaps a Haney-Lomachenko rematch. And why not, right? Both men are very young. It's easy to forget how young they both are still. They're both very skilled boxers. And, and all the, look, I thought that Haney lost against Lomachenko, but I was still extremely impressed with his performance. Um, both men have big support. What I love about it is that I can see it, you know, it's not, wouldn't exact, uh, unfold exactly like Lomachenko versus Haney, because Stevenson brings a different skill set than, than Lomachenko does. But similar in the sense that this is a purist's delight that would also, I think, appeal to more casual fans, because the skill level in the ring is going to be so high if these two get in the ring together. And I almost want to say when these two get in the ring together because right. it feels like it's gonna gonna happen right uh what a spectacularly good fight this would be uh fast a lot of great footwork um a lot of great offense and defense i mean it's one drools at the thought of it i, I think it's an absolutely fantastic fight Yep, it sure is. Uh, Stevenson, I have a couple of Shakur fights in, in my consideration here. I have a couple of Devin Haney fights in my consideration here. I did not have them against each other. Uh, I I love it. It just didn't quite crack my top five. So we go into number one with a chance for a zero overlap top five list. I'll bet we don't know. I'll bet this ruins it. Because my number one, it's another Shakur Stevenson fight. Shakur Stevenson, Javante Davis. Yep, that's my number one also. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> this is the fight that gets me You're all kind of excited right now. I, I, I love it for different reasons than number two. Like, whereas I love, I like Stevenson Haney because it would be a really fascinating competition of similar skill sets. It's the clash of styles that really intrigues me with this one. You've got Davis, the patient counterpuncher with a hell of a punch. Stevenson taking more of the mongoose role, you know, darting in and out probably force Davis to fight at a faster pace than he would want to. Uh, I think this would be a terrific fight too. And even if Stevenson got out to a large lead early, there'd still be that question as there always is for Tank Davis uh, of what will happen when and if Tank can land. I, I, I love this fight. I, I really hope it happens. It gets me really excited, the thought of this. Yeah, same here. I think we are headed toward these two being the last two standing, sort of the the to extend the Four Kings comparison again, these two I think could be the Leonard and Hagler of the era, mm-hmm. and it's it's a fascinating style clash. And these are the two guys that I currently have in my pound for pound top ten among all of these guys. Uh, there, it's it's amazing how many names at 135 to and 140 are somewhere between like my number eight and my number 18 or so pound mm. for pound. It's very mm. crowded uh, mm. with, with these guys, but these are the two that I do have toward the bottom of my top 10. I love this fight. Uh, it's, it's, it's my number one as well. Um, maybe before you get to your honorable mention, just shall I reveal what else we oh, made yes. my top five and then yeah, you can yeah. double back to whatever we didn't talk about. So I had Davis Stevenson one, I'll go one to one to five at sure. two, at two. 
I went with a different boxing purist delight than Stevenson Haney. I went Stevenson Lomachenko. Just, uh, sure. uh, again, just oh, a fascinating, God. pure boxing matchup there. At three, I caved to my desire to see Subriel Matias in fun fight of the year type fights, but I put him against Regis Progre. I think that would be ah, a, very a good. great one. Yep. Uh, at four, I had Javante Davis and Devin Haney. So just mixing and matching a couple gotcha. of guys. Uh, this could have been my number one uh, choice, possibly had, Le- had Haney like legit beaten Lomachenko. Sure. Um, but uh, still, still a fascinating style matchup. And at number five, I went with maybe making some assumptions I shouldn't make about what might happen in Teofimo Lopez's fight with Josh Taylor. But if Teofimo Lopez loses that fight, I have... Ryan Garcia, Teofimo Lopez as a loser leaves the Four Princes match. Wow. Yes. I love that, actually. I love that one. Um, I had two strong runners-up and one quasi-strong one. And as you said, I I could have gone on with an endless list. Uh, (laughs) uh, The two strong ones, one was Davis Haney. And the only reason I left it out was because I felt that the narrative would be similar to uh, Stevenson Davis, right? The mm-hmm. same kind of the the contrast in styles there between the two. Absent of Stevenson uh, Davis one on the list, I might have thrown Haney Davis pretty high up my list. Right. Um, here's one. How about William Zapata versus Isok Cruz? Mm, that was that. That's fun. Yeah, those How's are guys that who... for a nice mouth-watering one. And and you're now you're like naming names that are like again like maybe the. 14th and 16th names that you consider in this discussion but that's how that's how deep these divisions are right now exactly and then the quasi strong one it's one that i i suspect we're going to see um but i can't get super excited about it although i'm sure i will become enthusiastic as it inevitably approaches and that's garcia against raleigh romero and Mm. the reason i can't get super excited about it is romero um i just i just don't think he's as good as he thinks he is and we all saw what just happened to poor barroso after all right um so but i i'm sure i'll get caught up in in it's gonna happen i think i'm sure i'll get caught up uh in the pre-fight hype as it as it gets going and they and they call each other out but uh, as a contest i don't think it's on the level of any of the ones that either of us have talked about to be honest right uh as it's and basically then, as like as an event that can be hyped and sold it's it's near the top as a pure right. a match of top boxers it's a little lower than the rest of these agreed exactly and oddly i didn't come up with anything for regis progre um partly because when i looked at it, i realized oh my god he's faced so many of the good ones already <laughs> right right um but yeah, I, I actually had the winner of Taylor Lopez, even if it's a rematch with Josh Taylor, because that was still a pretty close fight, even though we lost that one. Mm-hmm. And I think Progre might have improved a little bit since then, actually. Yeah. Um, would be pretty pretty high on my list. So uh, And yeah, one could have kept on going, but that that was what I came up with. All right. Well, we, I think we should basically keep coming back to this topic as a top five list every six yeah. months or so, because it's going to keep evolving. Yeah, and like you said, and the depth is so great that, uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, how many princes did we decide was going to be the title of this book that I'm going to spend <laughs> I think, years writing? I, I think I said 82 princes last yeah, year. That yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Do not forget, SOG, the Book of Ward, premieres this Friday, June 2nd at 8 p.m. on Showtime, so be sure to check it out. Uh, we'll be back next week with a recap of Claressa Shields Ring Return and a look ahead to a very busy weekend of fights, including a showbox from Turning Stone Resort and Casino, plus Jaime Munguia against Sergei Derevianchenko, Sonny Edwards against Andres Campos, and the big one, 
Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.